This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I'm excited. I've got Dr. Kevin Sprouse with me. Uh, Kevin, how you doing? I'm doing good, Brett. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You're coming to us uh, from Tennessee, I guess uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm coming to you from just outside of St. Louis. So uh, how's everything going down there in Tennessee during all this COVID stuff? I mean, gosh, that's kind of a loaded question to start with. But um, <laughs> no, all, things, all things considered, it's, it's going pretty well. We've, um, yeah. Our kids are in school. It's, things seem to be moving along pretty well. So yeah. we'll, we'll, fingers crossed. Awesome. Well, I got you on this podcast. I figure we're going to talk about uh, COVID and we're going to talk about politics. Is that, is that cool? As long as we can add in religion, I'm good. Yeah, perfect. Religion and taxes. We'll add it all, man. We'll have some fun. So now you are a sports and energy medicine doctor. Uh, You're the head of the uh, EF Education First Pro Cycling. Uh, You work with world-class athletes in the PGA, the NFL, uh, Major League Baseball, uh, the Olympians, I could go on and on and on, but also work with executives where we'll spend some time today. Um, I think it's really cool is that you're a retainer style practice model. So, but like every show I'm on, uh, Kevin, I'd like to always start with kind of the backstory of what made you the man you are today and what helped you climb the ranks to get where you are, uh, are now. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, my practice is a little bit unique in that regard. Um, and it really started with I had the the privilege of working with athletes kind of right out of the, right out of the gates from, from fellowship. So I did undergraduate training in exercise physiology and got really interested in sports science and kind of the, the science around performance, um, initially performance with athletes, but then kind of thinking how that plays out for those of us that aren't, uh, paid athletes. Right. Right. Um, and having performance, whether that's within our recreational sport or at work or whatever else. And so when I went to medical school, um, wasn't quite sure how I would be able to bring that into the practice of medicine because it, it, in my opinion, it, it belongs there, but it doesn't really find itself there in, in U S medicine or really Western medicine. Right. And so, I studied, uh, studied medicine, went on to do a residency in emergency medicine in New York City. Um, and then from there, did a fellowship in sports medicine at a place called the Stedman Hawkins Clinic. And it was really there that I started working with a lot of high-level athletes. Um, was a, I started working for a lower-level cycling team that fed into the one that I work for now. Okay. And really just kind of step by step found myself in front of kind of a, a more and more accomplished group of athletes as, as patients. Um, so I guess the long or the short answer to the question is with the help of a lot of people along the way, um, it kind of 
ended up getting me here where I am today. Yeah. Is that something you grew up? I mean, did you grow up thinking, hey, I want to be a doctor and I want to kind of do the sports side or did, or did it just happen? No, I think probably like most kids, I grew up thinking I was going to be an athlete. Like I was going to be <laughs> a major league baseball player, right? Right. Um, and that, that didn't happen. And so uh, I played baseball in high school, but by high school, I knew I wasn't going to be. You weren't the guy. It wasn't going to be a career. Um, so I started thinking, you know, what could I do? And really in college is when I latched on to this idea of sports performance. Uh, I went to Wake Forest University and they have a great health and exercise science program. Um, and so I got to kind of learn about biomechanics and physiology and the science of performance from some of the best. And it was a little bit serendipitous because I didn't go there planning on doing that, but it worked out really well. Nice. Nice. So talk to us about, so obviously you work with these world-class athletes. I, I, I doubt there's a ton of world-class athletes listening to this. Maybe there is, but, but more, I know that there are a lot of executives and attorneys and physicians and other people that listen to this. And, and, and so talk to us about that. So you focus on this high performance athlete. We can peel that onion layer back a little bit, kind of walk us through if we can from A to Z on what it looks like when you sit down with an executive and they say, listen, I want to be in peak performance uh, peak health, lots of energy, all this kind of stuff. What's that process look like? And then what are you typically helping those people with? So I guess some of the tenets of what I do or the way I approach it is that in sports medicine and sports performance, we really do the research that shows us how somebody who's performing well can perform better. Okay. Or at least how they can support their best performance. We don't do that in the rest of medicine. Um, you'll see how someone is sick. You know, we'll take someone who's sick and see how we can get them better, which is a noble pursuit. I'm all for sure. that. But only kind of in the, in the realm of sports performance do we take somebody who has no diagnosis, who's performing at the top of their game, and say what sets them up to perform either better or just maintain this performance, you know, have a resilience to their performance. And so when I started to recognize that that was the case um, within the specialty that I had, I also saw that there was an opportunity to bring that to a non-professional sports population because the rest of us, I mean, I don't know your medical history, but you know, I don't have any medical diagnoses. I'm also sure. not getting a paycheck to go ride my bike or run. Right. But I do want to perform at my best every day and I want to know what sets me up to be there. And so taking the things that we've learned from sports science into we call it the general population the executive population whatever um there was a big a big desire for that from people and uh in a big hole i thought so when i sit down with somebody as you mentioned it's kind of a retainer style practice so people sign on for a year at a time we'll do a big panel of blood work an extensive medical history family history and then kind of decide where to go from there individually based on their goals, based on anything we've identified in that initial workup and really put together a plan that looks at nutritional health, uh, exercise, training, uh, looking at their sleep, their recovery, cognitive performance, all of those things and kind of lay out an annual plan for them. So when you, when I'm, I'm just taking some notes here. So how many times if I, let's say I'm your client or your patient and we do all this blood work, maybe you take me through a workout I mean, how many times are we communicating? How many times am I seeing you? Like, what's that process like? Yeah, I would say that average uh, communication time, that first appointment is usually anywhere from two to 
four, four and a half hours, really dependent on the patient. Um, my practice is limited to about 25 patients at any time. So there's lots of times to work yep. with the people that I work with. Um, so once you're kind of enrolled in there and we've done that big upfront meeting, then typically we'll be on the phone or texting or email weekly. Some, okay. some more often, some maybe every two weeks, but it's a pretty, uh, you know, it's pretty consistent communication. Yeah. So I'm the guinea pig here, right? So uh, lots of people like me listen to this. So father, uh, you know, married, crazy work-life schedule, crazy, uh, you know, home schedule, running the games, doing this, doing that. You know, I got baseball tonight. I've got a kid's golf match today. You know, try to fit in some healthy food somewhere uh, tonight, all that kind of stuff. So, so again, let's walk us through some of the things that we need to be focused on. Our listeners need to be focused on what do we need to do to be at peak performance? Sure. And I know the basics, sorry to interrupt, but I know the basics of, you know, eat well and exercise, right? But let's really dive into that thing. Yeah. So, um, what I hear you explaining is kind of your, your general day is very common, right? Yep. And I'd say for most of my patients, even a lot of those who are professional athletes, that's what their day looks like running from work to kids events, to, to family events, just kind of balancing it all and then trying to fit in the rest where you can. So, one of the things that, that I try to do with patients up front is not overwhelm them, you know, cause we can, I can come to you with, we have that first meeting, we do your blood work, kind of look at your lifestyle. I can give you 20 things off the bat. Oh, you need to do this, this, and this, and we need to measure this. And like, nobody's going to stick to that. So a lot of times it's starting pretty small is saying, okay, well, in all of this, what I hear is that your nutrition is really suffering. Maybe your sleep's okay. You're, fairly consistent with exercise, even though it's not great, we're going to address it, but we're going to set it aside for a minute. Let's look at nutrition. And so we'll dig into that by doing a food log. Um, That's usually just three to five days. I don't like people trying to log their food for extended periods. It becomes onerous and stressful and just probably counterproductive at a point, but we'll get a snapshot of what they're eating. I'll usually put a glucose sensor on them. So on the back of the arm, uh, about the size of a quarter, we'll slap the sensor that measures glucose 24-7 for two weeks. Hmm. They'll, be mon- uh, they'll be logging food, monitoring glucose, um, and then we may do something like a, a DEXA scan to look at body composition. Um, we may do a lactate test, which is uh, it's traditionally thought of as like a sports performance test. You get on a treadmill every three minutes, it gets harder. We're pricking your finger and looking at lactate levels. Um, and it is a great sports performance test, but for the rest of us, it tells us how the engine is working under the hood. Hmm. It tells us for uh, kind of lighter efforts, are you burning fat as you should be, or are you burning carbohydrates? Are you very glycolytic? And so it gives us this profile of how your metabolism is working and whether we need to address that both nutritionally and, uh, and with exercise. So from those things, we get a really pretty in-depth picture you know, plus the labs that we've already done to say, do you have deficiencies? Where can we address those in your diet? First and foremost, where can we address those with supplements? And then how do we need to kind of alter the timing of your eating around your glucose response or uh, your goals we're trying to, to meet with your physiology? So you can imagine even in just that, that's a little more than a typical nutritional evaluation where it's like, well, right. what would you eat today? Um, so 
that can take a couple months to kind of dig into, not from a data gathering standpoint, but for, if we do all that and say, okay, we really want to focus on your uh, glucose spikes and valleys, let's give you some small things to try this week. We'll recheck with the sensor, see if we've got you on track, and then we may look at, you know, number two and then number three. So hmm. it's a stepwise approach. Yeah, so this is a whole nother level of going in for, like I did this morning, actually, going in for the old annual physical, right? Where you yes. just, they ask you some questions, do some blood work, how you feeling, and you, you move on, right? And so uh, I, I love this. Lots of questions there. When you, when, and you made the comment, great exercise. So... It, Again, I'll be the guinea pig here. So if I, this morning I did 25, 30 minutes, I think it was 30 minutes on the TRX bands. And then I did about a mile and a half run uh, on the treadmill. Um, walk me through that exercise. Is that, what do you consider a great exercise? Well, it depends on your goals. So, you know, different athletes, different individuals have different goals with exercise. Um, we want to hit a bunch of different targets throughout the week. So some aerobic activity, which by aerobic, I mean, lower level, uh, not high intensity necessarily, but okay. kind of a fat burning state for a while. So depending on how fast you did your run, that may qualify. If it was a pretty brisk, you know, mile and a half, then you're well outside that fat burning zone, so to speak. Um, but still useful. It just serves a diff it fits a different purpose, right? Got it. The, the TRX stuff is fantastic. You can work on strength. You can work on uh, stability through ranges of motion, um, and all that's important. So when we look at designing an, an exercise program for someone, and we don't necessarily program the way a personal trainer would, like our clients don't get from us a weekly calendar of what to do. They usually have coaches or trainers hmm. uh, that, that we'll interact with and maybe help tweak things. Um, but we would look at doing, you know, some strength and mobility work, uh, we look at doing some higher intensity work. Uh, so interval training sessions, things like that. And we look at doing some longer, slower endurance training and then tweak those different things based on what your ultimate goal is. So if you've signed up for the New York marathon, that's going to look a lot different than if you've signed up for a Spartan race or you're trying right. to do well at the local, you know, in, in your CrossFit gym or whatever else. Right. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So you do like to switch it up where it's not just always run and, and, or lift weights. It's that yeah. mobility and, and that thing. And I think too, as I, as I find, as I'm aging, I'm 42 now, almost 43, you know, even getting your hips loosened up or your shoulders. And I play a lot of golf and doing all that kind of stuff. That mobility is huge, isn't it? It's, it's very much. I'm 42 also. And it's, okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it is huge. Um, one of the things that we try to do with a lot of our patients, it's, it's easy and it kind of ticks the box and makes a big difference is every morning spend five to 10 minutes going through some sort of stretching and movement routine. And it seems really simple. It seems right. like something you'd see as clickbait, right? Or on the front of a magazine in a right. grocery store aisle. But one of the things that, that has been shown in, in behavioral science is if you, if you're trying to adopt a new, uh, a new behavior, a new habit, if you attach that to something you already do, like making coffee, then it will stick. And so a lot of patients of mine, like you, need to spend a little time just kind of warming things up when they get out of bed in the morning. Right. So what I'll tell them is, you know, go in, hit start on the coffee. That's going to take about you know, 10 minutes or so. You've got 10 minutes there that you can choose to either get stressed out, look at your phone, start, you know, start the day off in just a, a fire right. state, or 
you can keep the phone down, take that 10 minutes, stretch a little bit, do some deep squats, a couple, you know, do some push-ups, kind of get the blood flowing. And it's really simple. It's 10 minutes, but you'd be shocked at how after four to six weeks of doing that every day, everything just feels a little more lubricated and ready to go. Yeah. That's great. I had the, uh, he's a uh, professional golfer, won the NCAA golf title, uh, you know, a few years ago. And now as a strength and conditioning coach at Oklahoma state university, he said, motion is lotion. Yeah. Right. And I thought that for our joints and our body, and I, I'd never heard that before. And I thought that was great. And you, but you're right. I mean, I know the mornings, if I just get up and then get going and get kids ready and get to school versus the morning I get up, maybe do something. It's even just not every day for six weeks, but just do that. How much better you feel. You know, and so it's kind of asking the person driving their car right now, how many mornings a week are you doing that? You know, be real with yourself and say, if I'm never doing that and you're like, oh, my back hurts or my shoulder hurts. Well, I mean, I think just that little nugget right there from you, just doing that, right? If you're not doing anything, 10 minutes a day of doing that is huge. It is huge. And, you know, there's almost nothing in the human body that doesn't get better with, with movement and activity. Yeah. Um, you know, some broken bones, you don't want to move, but beyond yep. that, I have a really hard time thinking what doesn't respond well to movement and activity. Yep. How important is sleep in all this? Sleep is massively important. Um, and I think that's something that we've started to realize as a society a, a bit more that that realization is coming around. Um, there's two components to it. One is getting just enough not to be sick from it and, mm -hmm. and you can get physically ill from having inadequate sleep. And in the short term, you people think about sleep deprivation. That's one thing that's, I mean, that's torture almost, but even just getting, you know, five and a half, six hours of sleep a night for a long period of time can lead to things like insulin resistance, uh, earlier type two diabetes, um, some, some real yeah. problems, higher Alzheimer's risk. So there's that component, but even on a day-to-day -day basis from a performance standpoint, uh, there's a, a doctor at Stanford and UCSF, she's worked both places, named Sherry Ma, who's done some fascinating studies with um, athletes looking at extending their sleep. So a lot of studies look at if you limit somebody's sleep, how bad do, how bad do they get, right? right? She's actually taken the other approach in some of these studies and said, okay, these NBA players, these NCAA basketball players, if we take where they are and extend it, tell them to try to sleep 10 hours, what do we see? And she was able to show that things like free throw percentage, yeah. three-pointer percentage went up, I think it was nine or 10%. Yep. I mean, that's, that's a huge improvement. And these, she tells a story about one guy who was already an all-star in the NBA, started sleeping adequate amounts, and his numbers went from really good to better. Mm. Um, and that's what we see <clears throat> in those of us that aren't trying to hit free throws to, to make a paycheck. Um, but if you're trying to be cognitively on throughout the day and you're doing that continuously on six six and a half hours of sleep you're leaving some performance on the table you may be fine you may think you're fine you may function enough to get through the day right but you're not as good as you could be yep. and and i try to impress that on patients that you know the, the argument is also often well i don't have an extra 60 or 90 minutes to sleep but if you, the, the paradox is if you do that, you don't need as much time to get your work done because you're more cognitively, right. uh, you know, able to handle the task for the day. Way more productive.
So let's, let's talk about, let's, let's kind of walk through a day, whether it's your own life or, you know, my life, I'll throw in some things or that world-class athlete, world-class executive. So we get up in the morning, we know we hit the coffee thing. I don't drink coffee, but for those that drink coffee, you hit the, the button and you get your 10 minutes, you get your movement, yeah. right? You do that. Let's walk through whether it's eating, whether it's resting, whether it's sleep, whether it's exercise, whether it's journaling, whether it's meditation, whether it's running your kids somewhere, kind of walk us through a progression of what's a, what's a perfect day for Kevin Sprouse? Well, I mean, what's perfect for me is going to be maybe disastrous for someone else, right? <laughs> Very individual. Um, but the way I like to address it just personally is get out of bed. Um, I, I keep the phone out of the bed, uh, out of the bedroom. Um, I told you, you know, I go get my coffee. Actually, I get water first. So I drink a big, probably 12 ounce glass of water with a little lemon juice, a little sea salt. Um, I'm going to keep interrupting you throughout this day, if that's all right. So, so this lemon water, so you take an actual lemon, like squirting lemon juice in there, or are you actually taking it from a fresh lemon? I used to do that, but I'm a little too lazy now. And I found yeah. that foods, you can buy a jar of lemon juice that's been squeezed, but not, uh, not preserved in any way. So okay. Yeah. Yeah. With four boys, the lemons, when I bring them a bag of lemons home, they last about an hour and a half and they're gone. Sure. You know, so I'm like, dang it, that was for my water tomorrow morning, you know, and they're already gone. All right, so we got that. And then you literally do the old, like I got the sea salt at home where you, you know, kind of grind it or whatever into the water. You do that with it. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, we, we've actually got a little bowl that my wife keeps. It has salt in it. She just grabs and pinches for, you know, cooking. Okay. So I'll take out of that and throw it in. Okay. Um, and people talk about lemon juice being good for digestion and, and salt being good for the hydration. And you know, you, there's arguments to be made there. I do it because I like the taste and it's not full yep. of sugar. It's not a glass of orange juice, right? Um, so there's nothing, there's no secret to that. I just kind of like how it tastes. Sometimes I'll add a little apple cider vinegar too. Same reason. Um, okay. So I'll do that and then kind of, uh, you know, go through a movement routine, which is not the same every morning. You know, it, I've got probably 20 or 30 things that I pick five from and, and do them that day. Um, and then... Yeah, it's coffee, um, coffee with cream. I usually put creatine in my coffee. Okay, I've heard of that, yeah. Probably the last six to 12 months because there was some good research that came out showing that, you know, we think of creatine as being like uh, for building muscle. Anybody's familiar with it, you know. In sure. Tyson, we, we used to take right. it. All the wrestlers used to take it, man. They were getting, you know, getting all built up and stuff. Yeah. Well, the way it works, it's involved in energy production. Um, and what they've shown in some recent studies is, if you, if you burn through creatine because you're fairly active, you potentially limit the, the creatine that's available for energy production in the brain. And so if you add a little creatine, just like two and a half grams, um, which is a small dose, it's like a half dose, but do that daily cognitive performance improved. Hmm. An easy way to add it is again, add it to something you already do. So I just put the scoop in the coffee. Um, it, there's some evidence that it dissolves better or is absorbed better in warm liquids. So you got that going for you. There's some evidence that maybe caffeine slows down the absorption. So, you know, who knows? The perfect not, way. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's getting it in. It's consistent. There's a study for everything. Exactly. Yeah. So what do you, do you mind? And maybe you don't want to share over, over a podcast, the brand or anything like that that you use, but is it, can you share that? Yeah. I mean, the brand that I use for that is Thorn Research. Um, T H O R N. 
T H O R N E. E. Okay. Yeah, and they're they're a, they uh, sell that stuff. They do. They're a product okay. used by a lot of the the National Olympic programs. It's tested. Okay. You know what's in it. That's my problem. I, you know, you hear all these supplements and different things, and I, I don't know what is what. I don't know where it's made. I don't know who to trust. And yeah, a lot of it you can't trust. Yeah. So look for something that's third party tested. And there's okay. there's a lot of good companies out there. That's just the one I happen to. Have okay. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So you got your lemon water, your coffee, your movement in. Uh, now what? Uh, usually about then the kids are starting to wake up. Um, so, you know, maybe I'm making breakfast. Maybe I'm uh, just kind of wrangling them while my wife makes breakfast and lunch and trying to get them out the door. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I, for the last year and a half or so, uh, I ride my bike to work most days. Occasionally wow. run to work. Um, it's about a five to six mile commute, depending on which route I take. So I'll hop on the bike and right into the office. That's amazing. It's actually fantastic. I mean, oh yeah. You can't, there's no way you're sluggish when you're getting in in the morning, man. You're ready to rock. It's good. It's, it's about, I mean, I told you it's six miles. It takes me about 30 minutes. So I'm not flying um, right. it's on the greenway. Uh, but if I do that and get 30 minutes to work, 30 minutes home, I'm already an hour of you know, decent activity. Yeah. And, throwing a workout somewhere then you know i've hit an hour and a half hour 45 minutes for the day without really trying too hard i like so, it so that's been a, a a huge thing for me and then um yeah i'm usually here in the office uh, if i'm in town I, I end up traveling a lot but um I kind of work from here in the office and a lot of my patients are uh i guess you'd call it telemedical interactions they're sure coast coast um, and even a good portion of them in Europe. And so it's just taking the time to kind of see where we are with each one of them and having the, the conversations I need to, checking um, a lot of the wearables that we wear. So we've got dashboards where I can see their, uh, their sleep, their, uh, their recovery scores, their weight, if they've been on their Wi-Fi enabled scales, um, anything we happen to be measuring at the time. Glucose, like I mentioned, it all kind of feeds into these uh, dashboards where I can pull them up and kind of see who's doing what. That's fascinating. Yeah. I just started wearing a whoop. I know I heard you on the whoop podcast and uh, things amazing, man. And it, it definitely makes you change your thought process. Like maybe not have that glass of red wine on a Tuesday night for no reason whatsoever, other than you just want a glass of red wine or something. But it, it's, it's made me think about my choices. It's made me have a strict bedtime, which anybody <clears throat> knows that's ever listened to this. I talk about that a lot is I'm the guy, I have to make myself go to bed at night, you know, whether it's putting down the book or put down the iPad, it's like you with kids, right? You get up, you get going, you're pulled in a thousand different directions. I enjoy a little Brett time at night. And it seems like that's the time when I finally get it once everybody's in bed. And as kids get older, they stay up later, which means therefore I stay up later. And it's that vicious cycle, right? And I decided I need to take control of that. I try to control a lot of things in my life in a, in a, in a good way. And this whoop has really been a big deal for me. So any thoughts on that, whether it's a whoop, an Apple watch, an aura ring, whatever you, whatever you think. I mean, I, I have my thoughts on which ones are better and yep. some are better situationally, depending on what, you know, a given person is trying to achieve, but again, consistency is key. So if I have a patient who is more likely to wear a device is maybe slightly less accurate, but for whatever reason they like it, I'd rather them wear something that is right. in that category than have the perfect device sitting on their counter all day. Um, so that's a big consideration for me. Uh, 
there's a lot of great tools out there. There's more and more coming out. I think Whoop does a fantastic job of the data presentation, which we were talking about actually before we started recording yeah. and, and really gamifying it. So, so that, like you said, you have this thought at night that I need to get to bed. I need to avoid that alcohol. I need to do whatever so that hopefully I can wake up tomorrow and see green, right? Okay. And not red. It's terrible that I'm such a gamer with that. I don't play normal games, but this has become a game for me in my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you get relatively instant feedback. So yeah. one of the things that we lack in medicine often is, you know, if, if I saw you in the office and we said, Ooh, Brett, your, your fasting blood sugar, your glucose is creeping up a little again. Let's, let's have you go home, eat better, come back in six months. We'll check it again. Well, in six months time, you have no idea what you did that was good or bad or what worked, what didn't. Right. If you've got a sensor on that, you know, 10, 15, 30 minutes later basically tells you, that what you just did was good or bad, then you can react quickly and make a change. And yep. Whoop does the same for sleep and training stress and all that stuff. So it's, I think it's about the timeliness of um, the, the timeliness of the feedback that makes it so yeah. good. I think it's also almost like, not that I needed permission, but it's almost given me permission to even take my workouts to that extra level, right? Instead yeah. of getting nervous, oh my God, my heart's pounding out of my chest and I'm sweating to death versus now learning to love that. And that's literally happened in the last eight weeks. I was yeah. a guy that would kind of get to that level and, oh my gosh, my heart literally is going to explode. I need to calm down a little bit, right? right. And, and that's almost given me permission. Not that I'm, a, I'm telling you I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV. And Kevin's not saying this as a doctor. But my point is, is that it's given me permission to kind of take it to that next level. Yeah, and, and I, think that, I think that's an important, um, important part of the whole thing is it gives you a little bit of comfort. I'll say with my patients, uh, because of the demographic that I work with, a lot of them, we're actually giving them permission to do the opposite. So mm, yeah. they the have these big training days, maybe two a day, and they wake up one morning, they feel terrible, they don't feel recovered, um, but they know that they're supposed to go do whatever the workout is. Right. But if they have a little bit of objective feedback that says, hey, you're really struggling today, you didn't sleep well, your body's not recovered, then they feel, uh, less like they're bailing on the workout and more like they're yep. doing the responsible thing. Yep. Yep. It's not good when you go on a guy's golf trip though, when you wake up the next morning. Yeah. You just don't, <laughs> want to work. Just don't even look, don't even open the whoop app. Yeah. And yeah. we've seen like in, at the tour de France um, or, or any event really, you have to be very careful with athletes when they can't change what they have to do that day because mm -hmm. they wake up and see the recovery is low and they feel mental. It. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you can say, Oh, just take the day off. You know, it's the world series. Yeah. Don't worry. We'll play tomorrow. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So there, there is a bit of, uh, you have to weight it appropriately and know when to kind of give it credence and when to say, Hey, I was up late last night drinking on this guy's weekend and it's going to be what's going to be. It's going to be what's going to be. And they, I guess during the tour de France, they got to wear them, right? The, the athletes, they yeah. wear them while they're riding. It's not illegal or anything. No, no, it's uh, yeah, it was not, not illegal. We've used, whoop in the past but this was the first year that we had like an official deal with them okay and you know we've had let me say that differently we've had a few riders in the past who used it we've had access to that data but this year uh, the whole team is on it and yeah. so we were able to see their daily strains the recovery how they slept at night which like i said is not actionable on the day in terms of uh, changing what their training load is going to be but it is actionable when you see that maybe a guy is having three days of declining sleep 
you go to him like, hey, you know, what's going on? You need to be able to sleep to recover. Find out that they've been on their iPad watching a movie or binge watching some series. Yeah. And show them the numbers and say, okay, let's not do that tonight. Let's see how you recover. You see that number pop up and you're like, oh, okay, well, I need to watch earlier. Or just, you know, Amazing. What do you think about these blue block uh, glasses or whatever you call them? What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're beneficial. Um, there's, if I can, sorry again to interrupt, but for those that may not know what I'm talking about, there's a lot of studies going on right now. If I wear glasses at night, I don't need them from a prescription standpoint, but they block the blue light, whether that's coming from, you know, my cell phone, it's coming from an iPad, it's coming from the television, wearing these at night and how it actually dramatically increases the, the success of your sleep, right? I mean, so I started wearing them about a week and a half, two weeks ago. I, I don't have enough data to, to see, but my, my sleep has been way better. Yeah. I mean, again, it, you can have lots of tools in the toolbox. You have to pick the right one for the situation. So if someone's struggling to sleep because of stress and you say, hey, use blue light blocking yeah. glasses, it's not going to work. But in general, the blocking the blue light is beneficial to sleep. What happens is the blue wavelength of light that comes from artificial devices. In nature, we only get that blue wave from the sun. And when that light hits your eyes, the back of your eyes, it signals the pineal gland in the brain to stop or to decrease production of melatonin. And we all know melatonin is mm. a hormone that makes you sleepy, initiates the night's sleep. And so if at nine o'clock at night, you hit your, your face, the back of your eyes with a big shot of blue light, your body thinks it's daytime, turns off the production of melatonin, and you're less likely to have a, a good night's sleep. And that's huge, right? Because think about it. When are most people looking at their phones? I mean, busy people, you do it, you lay in bed at night and you're scrolling through, you got the thing seven inches from your face. And, and I didn't really understand the whole science behind it. So that's amazing. So it's actually telling my body it's daytime, don't produce melatonin. So I'm not going to sleep as deeply. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think the, the blue blocking glasses are great. The other thing I'll have patients do is set an alarm on their phone for like an hour or two hours before bedtime. Yeah. That kind of signals the time at which the day is done. Right. Mm. In terms of the phone, email, yeah. watching anything on a screen, because you talk about, you know, your word, busy people sitting in bed, scrolling through their phone, which is true, but it's typically not business work that's being done at that no. point. Kind of you've done all the emails and everything you're like, Oh, I want to look through Instagram or right. whatever. Like it quickly, devolves into stuff that you don't need to be doing at that time. Oh, absolutely. And even for me, I like to read articles, but I find myself doing that now. I'm trying to get better. I've never been a guy to read books on an iPad or something like that. I'd like to read the real physical book, but it is amazing. And it's uh, so for people looking for that and you're guilty like I was to look at your screen and do that stuff before bed, try to limit that. I've gotten all the devices and everything. I still have my phone. I need to get rid of that thing, but I've got iPads, iWatches, you know, whatever, all the crap you got to charge. Everything's out of the room, right? Get out of the room. I've done that for probably six or 12 months now. And, and that's been great. So the, the other component of that that's beneficial, um, like even getting the phone out of the room is there's this anticipatory effect to having the phone there that if you do wake up in the middle of the night or early morning and you'd normally go back to bed, there's kind of this thought that, oh, well, let me just check the phone or, or even right. to look at time, right? Because again, you get that blue light effect, but you may see that somebody emailed you or yeah. if you work across time zones, uh, yeah, I, I start getting stuff from Europe sometime around three or four in the morning. And I'll very quickly, you know, see that I've got three messages from somebody and then 
I can't go back to sleep. It's over. Right. Maybe. Now your mind's. Sure. Yeah. 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 So you've, uh, okay. So we've done all this stuff. This has been a long day already, hasn't it? I haven't even gotten you to lunch yet. So, <laughs> so anyway, so food wise, how, what, are you, what are you doing from a food wise like today? You know, where do you, where do you go have lunch? What's your typical lunch look like? Um, I usually bring leftovers. My wife is an amazing cook. Um, okay. And so I'm really fortunate to be able to just kind of, hopefully she makes enough that the kids don't get all of it and yeah. I'll pull aside and bring it in. So it'll be, uh, I mean, yesterday was a salad and some uh, some pork and some roasted onions. And today was a homemade butternut squash soup and some fish. And, um, you know, Perfect. nothing crazy, but it's a lot better than I can just walk out in the street and get. Right. Go eat at a restaurant and get your chicken sandwich or something like that. So talk to us about meditation, journaling, goal planning. How's that play in uh, Kevin Sprouse's life? Yeah, so I've played around with all those. And I think uh, for some people, they're really beneficial. Um, I mean, I'd even change. I'd say for all people, meditation and kind of a mindfulness practice in some form is beneficial. Like it, it works for people, but it looks different for everybody. So I've tried the different apps personally. I've got patients that love them. I've got patients that doesn't work for. I, it doesn't work for me. But what I've realized is that oftentimes my meditation or mindfulness practice occurs when I'm running, uh, when I'm on my bike. Okay. And I've just kind of got, you know, if, if I'm running from here home at the end of the day, it's five miles on the greenway. Um, it's pretty rote. I know the, I know, I know where I'm going. I don't right. Um, and a lot of stuff kind of clears itself in the head during that time. So for me, that's what I've, what I've kind of settled on as being, useful and fits into my day. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. And so from a goal planning standpoint, are you a guy that likes to kind of get away some quiet time, think, strategize what's next for me and my practice and my clients and patients and all that stuff? Yes. Um, it's probably not as, as protocoled or, or, or codified as that, but it's, there's definitely periods throughout the week where I will kind of sit down. I've always got my notebook by me, which is right here. Yep. Um, and just have notes in there on whether it's things that I want to accomplish toward a, toward a specific goal, um, you know, steps along that pathway to get there, things that we're going to do with patients. Um, so that, that's always going, but I, I've tried in the past having like a, a, a sheet annually, you know, these are the 10 things I'm going to accomplish and whatever. Sure. And I've found that it's just not useful for me. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we've run through that by February, right? Which is great. Year. And sometimes you're at December and you've hit two of them and it's just defeating, but you've had a really good year and right. kind of puts the wrong spin on everything that you did for the year. Yep. So, you know, a couple years ago, uh, my wife and I had a bit of a revelation. I think when I was working in the hospital, I was the medical director for the cycling team. I had my practice going kind of everything was going well, which meant there was no time for anything. Basically. Right. And I sat down with my wife one fall to look at the, uh, the cycling schedule for the calendar for the next year and figure out when I was going to go to what race and whatnot. And she's like, well, why don't we just move to Spain? And I kind of chuckled. Oh. She's like, no, really. And it, within about 10 minutes, we had decided to move to Spain. Um, and a couple months later, we packed up the house. We sold one of the cars. We like, put the kids in the plane and we went to Spain. Um, Holy smokes. And 
you know, I, I wasn't working in the hospital anymore. I'd taken a sabbatical for my practice. I was working with the, the cyclists over there, but living a life that was just totally pared down. Um, now we had a nice place to live and we had, it was a beautiful town in Spain, sure. but the stress was just taken away. Um, and when we came back to the U.S., we knew we wouldn't be there indefinitely. How long were you there? Uh, about five months. Okay. Five um, and so when we came back, I had the benefit of a blank slate to say, okay, you know, we don't have, we don't have kids activities. I don't have job obligations. Like how do we want to structure this? What do we want this to look like? And in doing that really designed what I wanted my day-to-day look to look like in the practice. Um, We took a hard look at how we wanted to kind of spend our time extracurricularly, so to speak, you know, uh, Sure. Cause you can very quickly end up with, you know, a charity event one night dinner with friends, three school events and like the whole, the whole week is just spoken for. Yeah. Um, and so we had a chance to just kind of design more or less how we wanted the weeks to, to proceed. I tell you that story because that is really what resulted in not having to worry as much about planning the 10 things I want to do this year or whatever else it was, a little more freeing to say, okay, here's the path I want to be on. Let's just right. stay the path. Yep. Well, I think it's great too. And a lot of us have been thrown into that right now that you, you did it kind of premeditated before this COVID stuff. But I know for me, and I say this with the asterisk of obviously what's happening in the world is terrible. The pandemic is terrible. The health is terrible for people, businesses, all that kind of stuff. So I, I say that, uh, but then also on the flip side for me and my family, you know, with four kids and being busy, it's been amazing, right? To slow down and recalibrate and have dinners at home. And my wife not go that way. I go that way. And well, oh, I'll see you, you know, at 930 tonight or 10 o'clock tonight. And, you know, we'll high five in the hallway. You know, it's like those, those days are over right now. And I, I kind of hope that we all learn on what's truly important once this whole thing's, you know, back to quote unquote normal. I hope we don't go back to if that's normal. I really, I kind of, I hope the restaurants and I hope all these businesses can open up, but, but our worlds are different. Well, I mean, I think it, it is terrible what's happened to so many people, but there's nothing wrong with there being a silver lining. And, Absolutely. And some recognition that, you know, there's some good in this too. And let's take that with us. Let's get through the yeah. bad, take the good stuff. Yeah. And I do think, you know, yeah, restaurants need to be open. We'll go out to dinners, like all that stuff will be great. But the more that we can step back a little bit and have a little bit more of, you know, what we refer to as that Spanish lifestyle where, I have a a German friend who I was talking about this with while we were in Spain and he had moved to Spain too. And Germany has a very similar work ethos to the U S I would say, Okay, you know, you you work hard, everything's very regimented. It's all toward, you know, doing your best, getting as high as you can and retiring. Um, And so he kind of came in with that idea and I was explaining to him how, how kind of relaxed I felt in Spain, but I was still getting everything done. It's like, you know, I, I don't set an alarm. We stay up late. I sleep a little bit late. I go on bike rides. I play with the kids, but everything gets done. He's like, I know. As, as soon as I moved to Spain, every day somehow had more than 24 hours. <laughs> and I kind of feel like that's not unique to Spain. I mean, there's, there's a cultural component there, but there's no reason we can't have that here. And right. I think some of the stuff that's happening with the pandemic and pulling away from that over-scheduling 
is providing that to people. I hope. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think, so my next question was going to be, what would you tell yourself? Is that maybe if you could go back and tell the Kevin from 10 or 15 years ago, right? Cause we're all these young, you're my age, like you said. And so as we're, we're on the grind, right? You're, you're 30, that 32, that 35 year old, and you're trying to make a name for yourself. What would you go back and tell yourself to do differently? So I think this is an interesting point of all this is I, I wouldn't say to do anything differently. And I, love and, it. and I even tell people that not because I think I did it right or anything like that, but this idea of balance, and that's kind of what we were just talking about is having this, this a little bit more balance in your life between, you know, family time and work time and having space to breathe. I think there's time in life for imbalance and, you know, residency in medicine, total imbalance, early professional life, total imbalance and probably necessary. Um, Mm. I don't think you can cruise through, through those times and be where you need to be when you're 40, 50. Right. Um, so it's not a matter of having balance all the time, uh, but it's really picking and choosing. And, and we see that in sports too. When you look at a training plan for somebody, an annual training plan is going to have periods of really overdoing it, what we call overreaching, with the idea of then pulling the plug and super compensating, getting stronger because of it. And I think life kind of has to happen the same way. There's periods of times where you overdo it and then you get to pull the plug for whatever reason, be it a choice or a pandemic. Yep. And then you come out the other side stronger because of it. And there may be another period of, uh, of imbalance. Um, so it doesn't have to just always be this you know, growth doesn't happen when things are easy. No, you're absolutely right. I know I look back on my life and my, my best year, I'm using air quotes. If you're listening is, was my worst year professionally. And I was a young 23 year old financial advisor is kind of like this, Hey man, you need to wake up, right? This, this year just kind of kicked you in the teeth. And while it was not fun being in that moment, it was the best year ever. So you're absolutely right. So here's some easy questions we'll end with is, uh, I, I steal your phone from you and besides email, cause you got to have that for work. What, what's the one app that I can't delete uh, from your phone that, uh, you, you got to keep it. Um, Gosh, that's a good question. I, I mean, the easy default would be my calendar. Yeah. <laughs> kind of my brain, but there's actually one on there and I'm not an investor in this company or anything, but there's one called OMD, which is how we communicate. OMD? Yeah, it's O-H-M-D. Little okay. Play on words, I guess. But um, it is a HIPAA compliant app that I use to communicate with most of my patients. Oh, Okay. Um, so yeah, for me, I would feel very anxious all of a sudden. It'd be like cutting the line between me and right. work with. That's funny. And then books, are you a big reader? I love to read. I don't have as much time to do it as, uh, as I would like, as you alluded to earlier with kids. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do read, I just started reading a book this week. I believe it's called the adventurer's son. Okay. It's, I love it. I'm, you know, 50 pages in, I'm not a fast reader, but, (laughs) but yeah, books come kind of one at a time and they last a long time for me. Yeah, that's right. I'm 10 pages a day. If I I know if I can read 10 pages a day, that's it. Uh, Some days that's super easy. Some days it's impossible almost. And uh, as crazy as that sounds, but it's 10 pages a day. I know I'm going to read around 24 to 25 books a year. Yeah. And for me, that's, that's pretty good. Cause I'll wake up, you know, four years from now and you read a hundred books every four years. I have a feeling I'll win more than lose. Yeah, for sure. 
So awesome. Yeah. Man. Where, uh, where can our listeners find more of this? I mean, what if somebody's inspired and they said, hey, I'm here in St. Louis or Chicago or Nashville or whatever. Can we still work with you? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, the practice is Podium Sports Medicine. And it's uh, the website's podiumsportsmed.com. Okay. And we've also got a podcast called The Podium, which yep. if you uh, look that up on Apple Podcasts or whatever, um, you know, where we kind of dig into a topic. We do it seasonally, so it's not like there's a weekly podcast that comes out, but there's some good info there. And we're recording season three currently. Nice. Um, and that's a good way to get some information, I guess, without being a patient. But if, if you want to be a patient, that, that website's the Okay. Awesome. So they can go in there, dial it up, and, and, and walk through some process and figure out how to become a patient. Yeah, so. There's a prospective patient form uh, that gets sent to us, and then we take it from there. Awesome. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for being with us on the Circuit of Success, man. It's been awesome having you. Thank you, Brett. It was good. Enjoyed it. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.